if we want mid-century decarbonization of transport sometime around 2030, 2040, all the vehicles need to be uh, electrified. Hello and welcome to the season two of Understanding the Future. I'm your host, Punit Gandhi, and Climate Center for Cities is excited to bring to you a podcast about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, sustainability, and innovation. We will talk to experts working on ground as well as in the top management of government and non-governmental organizations to better understand how the field looks like in future. This will help us in preparing to enable climate actions as well as gauge the type of skill sets and jobs that would be required in future to solve complex challenges. If you are listening to it for the first time, do tune into Season 1. Hello and welcome to the Season 2 of Understanding the Future. I am your host, Punit Gandhi, and today we have with us Vivek Chandra. He is Associate Director for the Transport Vertical at the Shakti Sustainable Energy Foundation, and he will help us understand about the accessible urban transport. Welcome to the show, Vivek. Thanks, Punit. Pleasure to be here. Let's talk about urban transport, and what do we exactly mean by accessible urban transport when we are referring to it? Certainly. Um, so accessibility um, refers to the idea of the ability of anybody, uh, including goods to an extent, but uh, maybe we can keep that separate. Uh, but it's the ability of anybody to um, reach a desired destination, right? And that is the, uh, the idea of accessibility. Now, it manifests in many ways. Um, uh, there are certain factors that determine how accessible a certain area is. So it is location-centric, but it's also uh, centered around the modes that people use to access those certain areas, right? So, for example, uh, cost of transport is generally the factor that, that determines access is generally cost. And cost from a larger, uh, broader way of thinking about it, it is either time that it takes to reach a certain place, or it is the monetary fare or cost that you pay to get there, could also be thought of as the level of comfort or discomfort you face to reach a certain place or through a certain mode, yeah. right? A good example uh, would be to, if you would take any form of transport and uh, public transport being a, a great case, that, for example, a bus, bus services are there in your city, but perhaps it's more than two or three kilometers away from you. That's the, the stop that is available to you. Yeah. So you would then have to say that, okay, Bus is not necessarily an accessible mode of transport to get to where you are, uh, you want to go or to get to where you are, where you live, right? Yeah. So uh, from the public transport point of view, then maybe it's not very accessible. So instead, you would probably uh, prefer to walk to where you want to go or cycle or use an Ola or an Uber or any of these other modes of transport, right? Yeah. So that's the way we can look at the idea of uh, accessibility. Yeah, that's that's quite concisely defined, and I, I do like it that you can look at it from goods as well as people perspective. So let's talk about the urban sector of it as well. What are some of now the underlying things happening on urban transportation systems? And so what is the current scenario we are looking at and how is it transforming with time? Sure. 
So uh, some of the important transitions that we are looking at currently are what is known as the, the three revolutions actually this was coined by UC Davis and uh, ITDP in a, in a report perhaps three to four years ago. Uh, the ideas known as shared, connected, and electric, right? I think electric mobility is something we're all getting used to. Uh, yep. So uh, that's not an alien concept anymore. Yep. Shared mobility is something we've already gotten used to. So in terms of uh, all of our abilities to use Ola and Uber and all of these uh, newer app-based yeah. systems of transport is something that we have uh, we've also gotten used to. I think what might be a concept that we're not very familiar with is the connected concept, right? Okay. Uh, which is yeah. connected vehicles. Um, and what occurs when vehicles are connected to each other, how they can optimize themselves. Uh, but let me, let me step back and give you an idea of what has happened here. Uh, essentially, it's three technologies that have um, matured outside of transport that has enabled this to happen, right? Okay. So we have information technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's something that has grown with the internet itself, right? Yeah. Uh, and how... We are managing technology. How how we have information at the at the uh, you know at, in our hands at yeah. every point we are moving around uh, with our mobile phones and smartphones. Um, yeah. So that revolution has really enabled the shared mobility uh, uh, possibilities. Um, and I'll, let me get into the shared mobility modes a little later as to how to define them and how they how they are changing and evolving. Uh, similarly, battery technology on electric. Right. Yeah. Um, Ten years ago, battery, batteries costed uh, almost 10 times as much as they used to today. And that reduction in cost has really made electric mobility possible. And yeah. uh, there are a few more technologies that could perhaps take us to zero emission vehicles. But electric is the foremost uh, runner, something that is practical today uh, that we can adopt. Sure. And of course, the Internet of Things. Uh, now, uh, when we look at uh, 5G, one of the important uh, enablers, uh, 5G is yeah. uh, at least showing up on phones nowadays. Uh, and in terms of what uh, cellular uh, networks are talking about in terms of the next step. Um, yeah. But uh, what, what it really can enable is interaction, very high speed interfaces between um, vehicles and devices without and that information can lead them to make decisions to an extent using ai perhaps so that those could be optimization decisions which route to take which lane to change uh, what speed to uh, to be at yeah. um, and the benefits of those are of course safety time saved emission saved because you're traveling shorter distances yeah. um, so that would be uh, one way of looking at it on the shared and electric bit, bit i want to probably spend more time because that's perhaps what is immediate and more relevant to us, right? So on shared mobility, what really has happened is that the, the ability to exchange information over a device has made it possible for one operators to realize what demand exists, where it exists, and then start optimizing for that purpose. So now uh, cab services are a great example of that, right? Um, yeah. They're also, there is now the ability for them to be shared among uh, multiple people, right? Yeah. Um, earlier cab pooling of uh, rides used to be the thing uh, the, yeah. in the previous decade and uh, we've overcome them and now it's a commercial activity and right? it's a seamless activity that can be undertaken of course covid has put a spanner in all of those issues uh, in terms of sharing <laughs> and shared yeah. mobility but um, yeah i think that we will overcome those as time 
time progresses. It has also evolved in terms of how public transport services can be looked at. So now, yeah. um, even public transport operators are considering on-demand services. And that's okay. a huge difference to the scheduled mechanisms with which buses were operated. Right? Yeah. Um, so new models are evolving. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it's still a, a phase in which uh, a lot more can be done and a lot more is being done at this point. Uh um, I, I would just Go like ahead. to sorry add something that caught my uh, caught me was on demand public transport. Can you give a bit more example about that? I think that would be interesting. So um, I think we are familiar with the Ola and Uber model, right? Um, yeah. That we are able to um, hail a ride yeah. as soon as we we would intend to uh, you know access a service, yeah. and that is essentially what on demand service is about. Yeah. Um, of course, it was not possible earlier. Uh, booking a ride meant perhaps calling someone up um, maybe an hour or two in advance. And that is to an extent how these services evolved early on as well. You needed to book your service much in advance. But yeah. now that there are one, many people on the, uh, providing that service because the number of drivers have increased who are on these platforms, uh, the yeah. platforms have gotten better at dealing with this information and uh, figuring out who's close to you or when they would end a trip close to you and then started optimizing how to allocate those trips to who. So again, there has been optimizations uh, that have been done. Um, and of course, um, online payment and you know interactions between people have also gotten far easier. So there's many uh, smaller improvements in technology that have occurred uh, that have made yeah. this a very seamless process. Yeah. Of course, when it comes to um, buses and uh, bus transport, that's not uh, that hasn't been as simple a journey. One of it is because, and predominantly because, uh, the policy environment has um, hasn't really evolved at the speed at which technology has evolved. And you might have noticed this even in cab aggregators uh, that uh, the rules for cab aggregators are oftentimes not there or are being evolved, and then. Some states run into trouble with them and some operators yeah. run into trouble for not meeting those standards. And there's, there's a stiff between the state and the, the aggregator in this case. But again, I think um, policy is evolving, but if a, a more open policy environment can enable new and innovative ideas to evolve there. Okay. I, I absolutely agree. And I, I like that, that, okay, yeah, we have already moved to a better shared economy in terms of uh, transport systems, at least now. In metro cities, also, we see this quite often that people are refraining to buy cars because of these things that are easily available, which is a big plus. So we will come back to that again. But before that, I want to ask the this thing that electric is now everywhere. Everyone is talking about electric. It is something that even government is pushing it, not in the private sector more than the public sector. So how do you see that sector evolving with time? And how do you see it increasing its penetration with time? Yeah. So um, I think I would like to answer that question from a lot of uh, what we're looking at Shakti and the work that we're looking at as well. Uh, because this is really peering into the future that we're doing at, at some level. EVs um, from the, and our work is centered around sustainable transport and sustainability, uh, decarbonization of transport, right? And from that perspective, electric vehicles are certainly at the center of that conversation uh, because it has become almost the fundamental solution that would lead to transport decarbonization. Yeah. Uh, of course, 
At the same time, there is the assumption that renewable energy on the grid side would continue to uh, increase. And you know, by 2030, we, the government has again ambitious targets there uh, and very certain targets there that they're trying to meet. And hopefully that continues, that journey continues by 2050. And we, we have a far greener uh, electricity grid phasing out some coal that we have. So assuming that the power sector is going to green, that is, if we don't make this electric mobility shift now, we're going to be stuck with a bunch of, you know, uh, internal combustion engine yeah. vehicles, ICE vehicles, that would take far many more years to, you know, phase out because uh, any of the, uh, these vehicles, their life is anywhere between 10 to 20 years. Personal yeah. vehicles can be used if they're used sparingly, can be used for very many more years, right? Commercial vehicles do, you know, wear out uh, faster. But that means... If we want mid-century decarbonization of transport, sometime around 2030, 2040, all the vehicles will be uh, electrified. But that's a good 20 years. Uh, yeah. If it took 10 years for battery prices to come by half, yeah. uh, 20 years is a long time for a lot of innovation and a lot of change and a lot of progress to be made. So uh, uh, I, I don't doubt at all from the point of view of the technology that we are not already here. In fact, we are already here because many use cases have already been electrified and are cost competitive yeah. and they're already being deployed, right? Um, if not at scale, uh, because there are multiple barriers that are keeping us from going, you know, deploying at scale. We could perhaps talk about that later, but essentially there are already uh, use cases that are being electrified. And um, yeah, so I think uh, the, the important challenge here is that battery prices have this there is this theoretical threshold of a hundred dollars per kilowatt hour yeah yeah right so battery prices have kind of they have a thousand dollars around 2010 they've come down to about 130 dollars for for one uh, battery pack of yeah. a kilowatt hour and uh, it's expected to reach 100 it's already hit 100 in some parts in certain applications in china for electric buses, especially because they're big, huge batteries. Yeah. And they're expected to reach that in another two to three years, right? So 2023 okay. is the time that it's expected to reach a hundred you know, dollars. And once that happens, that has been that has been the, uh, the critical threshold, uh, which is yeah. imagined for most vehicle types to become practical. Most cost uh, of ownership, not only ownership of the vehicle, but also the, the, the price, the sticker price of a vehicle to become competitive enough and compelling enough for people to go and purchase it. Yeah. So that is uh, really what, what will be the tipping point in this case for this technology. It needs a lot of policy push to yeah. help us get there, right? The, 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 the 10 time decrease in battery prices have not happened in just because of technology. It has happened because sure. many governments have pushed policies to deploy electric vehicles at high costs with high subsidies but essentially given enough demand for that industry to deploy at scale. And that yeah. the more, more of that learning rate would, would actually eventually end up with uh, a reduced cost. In India as well, there's, there's, uh, we don't necessarily manufacture electric vehicle batteries. And the moment we start doing that, and we do, do that in large factories and in large numbers, the supply chains would fall in place and those prices would definitely uh, lower for us than if we were to import it for instance, right? So uh, multiple aspects there that try uh, that, that are bringing making electric vehicles practical for us. 
yeah that that's quite interesting so for me i have never really put it in that perspective that okay if you are looking at it from mid century shift how in next 10 years we can just shift to electric and then next 20 years is where innovation can take place and that's quite fascinating but what about then new technologies like hydrogen because they are also creating a quite a lot of buzz around here and how will they kind of compete with this market segment so the challenge is hydrogen is a bit more because uh, unlike electric vehicles where the technology is to an extent to a large extent proven uh, mm. it's just about manufacturing at scale deploying at scale enabling charging infrastructure yeah the situation with hydrogen is a little different because the technology itself requires a lot more in terms of it to mature enough uh, to okay. finally deploy and uh, of course associated with any technology is the cost at which it can be deployed right yeah which is why with electric it was the 100 dollar battery uh, yeah. with hydrogen uh, there is quite a way to go there are there are shortcuts to it but those shortcuts unfortunately are not the greenest ways of producing hydrogen now hydrogen is actually produced for several applications in the country already so for example uh, industrial processes requiring hydrogen uh, need hydrogen to be produced and they produce mostly through gas right natural gas yeah now that's a fossil fuel and so there's really no advantage if you're running around with hydrogen produced from fossil fuels because essentially you're just burning fossil fuel right yeah so there's there's really no advantage there so hydrogen needs to then be produced through a process of electrolysis which is the process of splitting water and getting hydrogen from that mm-hmm. right and the idea there is uh, solar power will be used because that's renewable energy solar power cannot be stored at this point and this could be a really good manner in which excess solar power could be transitioned into you know a liquid fuel or a gas in this case yeah. that has more energy or could be transferred or used in some other application itself and so that is the the method with which um, hydrogen is expected to be used but the challenge there is of cost and technology and neither is this technology easily accessible because this is present in uh, some of some countries for example japan has pioneered this and uh, you know folks like uh, companies like toyota have have been de- you know deploying money in terms of r&d for many many years on this on this yeah. idea and so they have an edge but it's not as common as the um, lithium ion battery which yeah. now doesn't even have a patent actually the, the technology is freely accessible <laughs> provided yeah. you can you can uh, have the the technical abilities to put it together and put it together properly so so yeah uh, that's these are the challenges to be overcome with hydrogen but i think uh, with time perhaps hydrogen will be uh, useful in some hard to electrify applications um yeah. so for example uh, shipping could be something that could be electrified with with hydrogen so could um, aviation and maybe even heavy heavy vehicles uh, such as uh, trucks Uh, especially if they are they need to apply uh, in a situation in which in a situation where charging infrastructure is not easily accessible for example right yeah. um, so in those applications uh, there is definitely uh, a use case for hydrogen that may appear with india cost becomes the issue but in several other countries it may not be the same case there may be a uh, cost might not be as much of a, of a concern and uh, so there may be a long way to go with hydrogen that's the okay. that's the catch <laughs> okay so uh, okay. most predictions have it that 2030 to 2040 is the period in which 
hydrogen vehicles will start maturing. And perhaps 2040 okay. onwards is when it would start penetrating in, in larger numbers. Okay. And so this brings me back to the initial point that you had touched upon was on the goods and uh, what is the accessibility of goods for the goods over here in transport sector. So how, how does that whole freight concept come into picture over here? Because that is, again, one of the biggest polluting factors for transportation as of now. So how, what is being thought around those lines? You're absolutely right. Freight, uh, when talking about decarbonizing transport, freight is the biggest challenge because it is almost 40% of current emissions from the transport yeah. sector. And um, because we are a developing country, because we are going to consume more, we will need to transport more goods around the country. And as a result, if my memory serves me right, we are, uh, we are expected to increase freight uh, transport almost by four to six times okay. by, the, by 2050 from, uh, from 2010 levels. Okay. Right? And so that's a huge, huge you know, multiplier uh, in terms of uh, the, the amount of freight that is going to be moving around. And um, if we go about it uh, in the same way that we have already using ice vehicles, that means emissions will also increase. Uh, by that many times. And that's just not possible. We just can't afford it from the climate yeah. point of view. So freight from that point can be uh, split into two activities. And then both these, both the solutions decarbonizing them are uh, easier in one, which is urban and yeah. not as easy perhaps, uh, or needs more effort and you know, uh, time on the long haul freight uh, piece. The long haul is intercity, cross-country kind of transport of goods that occur over trucks today. Yeah. So that is what uh, needs a little bit more attention because if you were to notice urban freight, a lot of it is already getting electrified with auto rickshaws that are carrying groceries now to, from, you know, go-downs to, to houses from, yeah. you know, uh, with popular, again, app-based services, but also to shops and other places, right? So that's, that's already starting to get electrified with good policies, more light, vehicles can get electrified so like commercial vehicles are essentially cars or yeah. cars that are built like uh, built with more storage instead and so those can also get electrified but uh, trucking still needs some amount of work because the challenge there is the batteries are not as energy dense as for yeah. example diesel or petrol right and so what it means is these trucks now need to carry a lot many more batteries and those batteries eat up into the, the truck's own you know, load that it should have yeah. been carrying in any case. So that is the challenge. The, the way of solving this, at least theoretically, is to have batteries that are capable of uh, being charged quickly. Yeah. Right? So there's a bit of a technolo uh, technological challenge there, but also the availability of fast and super fast chargers yeah. right, on highways. And that can really help keep the keep the cost down because I mean there are there are other ideas of electrifying highways, but then that's just prohibitively expensive because uh, it's as good as deploying a rail network all over again, uh, you know, with yeah. all of the electricity grid and all of the infrastructure. Uh, and so that you know, rather than that, it's easier to kind of crack this uh, from a technological point of view uh, with be better batteries, lighter batteries that have higher storage capacity as well as charging infrastructure that can you know meet those needs. So that's the the challenge with um, electric trucks. 
And of course, uh, like I said, I think uh, uh, urban freight can already, to a large extent, be, be electrified. So one of the important mechanisms to make this happen is to adopt use cases with HDVs, for example, that are already present. So if you look at ports, there are a port is a location where there's a lot of freight that's coming from a ship or from uh, from an aircraft or from a rail, yeah. right? And essentially, the uh, the job of the truck is to go from take that load from the vehicle and then move it to a go-down, right? Yeah. And then just shuttle back and forth. And this go-down is not going to be very far off because it was essentially created around the port. So it probably be 10 miles, 20 miles, 30 miles at most, right? Yeah. But then this is the job of the truck is just to keep shuttling up and down and it knows where its point of pickup is. It knows where its point of location where it needs to drop off that, that freight. Yeah. So these points are fixed. All you need to do is provide good charges there and run those trucks in those situations. So, uh, in fact, uh, Tata Steel, uh, if I'm not wrong, right. Jump Shape did electrify about 17 or 20 of its trucks now. Uh, oh. I think the good thing is Tata has its own trucks. Uh, truck yeah. company has and understands the need to electrify trucks. So, with yeah. that motivation, we've gone ahead and done that. And with the exact idea, right? It's just steel that's being produced in the factory, needs to be moved to uh, perhaps a rail ahead where it will be transported into another mode and it just keeps going up and down. So with those kind of applications, one is you create demand. The other is we get comfortable with the technology. The industry learns yeah. from these pilots and then we keep moving forward. And that's the hope that we all have. <laughs> no, that's, that surely sounds like a good uh, strategy to go forward as well because this reminds me of one of the things uh, back in Netherlands when I was studying there and we saw with the port of Rotterdam that how they had automated the whole uh, port service with just three people on board functioning the whole port while that is the busiest port of Europe. So that is where your connected, shared, electric kind of systems do completely, you know, come in together, I feel. And already been come, uh, already come together in that sense, right? Yes, exactly. It was just fascinating to see. So let's, let's come back to the urban side of it. And how, how can we support and enable decarbonization of transport and accelerate that in cities now? Yeah, so as uh, we've been discussing already, I think electric vehicles would be a very, very important uh, mechanism to uh, decarbonize transport. Technically, it's perhaps the only way it can be done because every other method can only reduce emissions and not eliminate emissions, right? Every other yeah. pathway gives us means to reduce demand. Yeah. Um, so whether it is move from personal vehicles to public transport, while from a developmental point of view, it has many, many co-benefits, many economic benefits uh, from the access point of view. It's perhaps the right thing to do from the point of view that we are not a rich country. We have many people who need access to transport to get to work. From that point of view, yes, public transport is an absolute necessity, uh, yeah. but it doesn't eliminate emissions if it's not electric, right? Yeah. And so that uh, that becomes the challenge. So uh, we can we can avoid a lot of emissions, but then for that re the remaining emissions to go, it has to have been electric, or uh, and that is the challenge for us uh, from the point of view of the work that we do, um, because it is a new technology. It needs um, policy support, and that is really where uh, where the challenge is for us. But the railways is actually a very interesting. Um, alternative as well. And, I'm, and this is actually digressing from the urban question. I realize you asked the question about urban, but um, 
the railways can be quite interesting because uh, the railways is already electrify or is electrifying in a big yeah. way and uh, all that <laughs> any freight or any passenger mobility on it is uh, essentially uh, clean provided it we are getting the, the the power from clean sources and uh, and uh, even dmrc has a big push towards yeah. uh, deploying um, solar power in its operations and so yeah. if that that takes on uh, that that you know increases uh, we we are actually going to see a lot more of clean transport options including yes. rail and road at the same time no absolutely i i agree with you that we we already have certain kind of systems in place where a lot of things are already electric at least intrastate or intras intercity kind of thing as well and i i do hope that with more and more now the delivery apps also coming into picture and trying to shift towards the electric mobility in general might lead this way towards a cleaner transportation so next up i want to again come back to the connected part of it and you have mentioned that how iot is one thing and 5g services will help cities uh, will help transportation in just better managing it so what are some of the new technologies or innovations we can kind of look into that sector as of now or should expect to come in a future so the question on iot with uh, with india is actually a tricky one uh, because okay. i if i'm not wrong we have a formal policy of not encouraging autonomous vehicles <laughs> it doesn't stop uh, doesn't stop innovation though yeah but i think we are still quite a distance from enabling autonomous vehicles so if you look at tesla it already has yeah. its own uh, methods um, at least assistance that it provides to drivers right using the the sensors that it has the yeah. cameras that it has and onboard intelligence that it that it has to uh, to respond to uh, whatever let's say barriers or uh, changes to the the environment that it sees has avoided many accidents um, recorded yeah. that that it's uh, it's a, it's much safer than not have had those assistance but uh, it's still not at the point where it, we are saying it's fully autonomous right uh, and the same time if uh, our streets are not necessarily designed to be autonomous we have a very mixed use streets right in terms of yeah. the multiple modes that that we have uh, in india um, the, the multiple um, modes of transport are also of different speeds and different uh, sometimes of different intelligence levels as well i mean they're not all smart right yeah. and so perhaps uh, maybe in a highway uh, trying to autonomize vehicles might be a different challenge and uh, doing that in an urban area may be a very different challenge uh, yeah. right so we may be some distance between uh, getting fully autonomous vehicles or using a fully autonomous system let's put it that way uh, yeah. there may be some abilities that it gives us to get make the system safer avoid yeah. collision you know with those those hive systems is also optimization that can be done with with uh, uh, chaining of vehicles one behind the other so there's a lot of efficiencies that can be gained by by that but i still i'm i'm skeptical that in india we're going to have that uh, anytime soon uh, yeah. although the technology may be there <laughs> fair enough fair enough so the coming to one of the last questions that we generally ask uh, everyone is on lines of what kind of skill sets do you feel are important to work in the field of urban uh, transport or act- to develop accessible urban transport uh, what all different kinds of skill set we would require all right for accessible urban transport or 
would you rather use the, uh, maybe look at it from the point of view of sustainable urban transport? Let's let's look yeah. at it from a larger, broader. Sure. Because all of these these transitions that we are talking about to an extent then come into the picture. I think from the point of view, we did discuss the fact that technology and IT has had an important role to play in the transformation of transport itself. Um, from enabling um, aggregators, cab aggregators, to enabling bicycle sharing at the the smallest level. You know, all of this has has happened because of technology. And so uh, I do see that we might, uh, and this has been the case in most industries, that we will see more of those skills being deployed for applications of transport, Right. Um, I don't think it takes away the job of a transport planner. I don't think it takes away the job of you know policymakers who still need to look at what is the economic good that we are trying to create, right? Yeah. And what is the um, how is it increasing um, uh, economic efficiencies? Uh, so yeah. those challenges continue to exist, and those uh, problems need to be addressed. But here is another tool to address that problem. Right? Yeah. It makes the the task easier. It makes accessing information easier. And so from that point of view, I think um, IT is a great enabler. On the electric mobility transition, uh, I think the ICE industry, the internal combustion industry is going to see a huge transformation as a result of this. Uh, right? we, um, uh, we are moving away from a, an engine which has yeah. thousands of moving parts. Yeah. And essentially, as a result, has thousands of uh, more people working on it <laughs> uh, because these are smaller parts and need to all come together uh, in complex ways. Uh, yeah. But we're going to a simpler system uh, and a system that is and doesn't have an engine, it essentially has a motor and has a battery instead, right? Far lesser yeah. moving parts. As a result, far more savings in money. That's the, 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 the USP of electric vehicles. But yeah. there is definitely a, a transformation that is happening from the technology front. And this means we are moving more from uh, you know, the mechanical aspects to some of the electronics and the electrical aspects are going to increase yeah. in vehicles. So making motors, making batteries are different kinds of jobs that, uh, that would be created. Power electronics uh, is an industry that would have a huge push from what is inside a vehicle for charging infrastructure to what is outside the vehicle um, in terms of chargers itself. Yeah. Uh, all of them would need uh, power electronics. So that's a different aspect altogether. So I see, um, yeah, there's a bunch of new jobs that, that are being created uh, as a result of these transition. But I think... Um, there has been some, I would also address this issue that there's been some skepticism that, you know, these are all going to take away jobs of existing people. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's, uh, that's, that need not really be there uh, because this is a transition that you're talking about and the transition takes time and the transition can be, you know, with good policies, it can be designed well enough uh, yeah. that it is not uh, disruptive. It is not sudden. It is not taking people by surprise. There's enough time to reskill, upskill people who are in uh, current jobs. It in, in fact even opens up jobs for um, for newer sets of people, communities of people. For example, you know, women are now picking up driving because these are not as complex vehicles as they used to be. It doesn't take, you know, mechanical strength to understand these are far simpler vehicles. And so that's uh, that's an advantage as well. So I think we're getting getting to a space where this is a bit more inclusive. And as a result, involving more people and taking more people along.
the the good side about evs is also that there's an extension uh, to this industry because the re industry also yeah. gets kicked because we're talking about decarbonizing through renewable energy and solar energy and there's yeah. tons of jobs to be created there as well in terms of deploying solar uh, cells and solar uh, you know uh, parks that need to be created at scale um, so all of those are job uh, job intensive kind of kind of work that that's to be undertaken in the future so there's there's uh, essentially more jobs there that will be created as a, as a result of this this transition itself I, I do agree with you with that uh, while there is a lot of jobs that will go out because of the change in industry but that will always end up opening more doors somewhere or the other uh, so while we will have to plan how the transition happens in a better way but i think this this is still a feasible thing to do then not to change systems uh, as required thank you so much and if i have missed out of any other, any point that you would like to cover please do so while considering this topic no i think uh, we've touched upon most aspect yeah n- nothing much that i would like to share at this point at least okay thank you so much uh, vivek this was surely a very interesting conversation to have and understand in better context what is accessible urban transport not just from people's point of view but also from goods point of view thank you so much for your time Thank you for having us my pleasure You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast to know more about Climate Center for Cities check out our website www.niua.org/c-q The show is conceptualized produced and edited by Punit Gandhi senior associate at CQ You can now subscribe to our podcast on your favorite channel which can be accessed through the credits. Also don't forget to follow us on our social media for more updates. Do share your reviews with us and help us spread the podcast to your friends and colleagues. Do write to us if you would be interested in learning about any specific topics. Thank you and stay tuned for our next episode.